Welcome to All Things Beer, a Pat's Pints Mark's Mugs podcast. I'm Pat Woodward. And I'm Mark Richards. Each month, we are joined by brewers, enthusiasts, and friends to explore the techniques, the culture, and the history of mankind's best invention. So grab a beer and join us as we discover a world of all things beer. What is up? As promised, more stouts. Yeah, this is kind of like the bologna or the ham in our three-part stout sandwich. And we're going to get into some stouts that are a little bit less mainstream, I think. Oh, yeah. This episode is called Moo. (laughs) 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 Okay, so it's milk, oatmeal, and oyster. Yeah, not your everyday stouts, although you can find them if you look hard enough. And that's our job, to look hard enough for these stouts that are not on every corner. We didn't have to look that far because we're staying mostly in Ohio. Although we did have to do some traveling. That's right. We're going to go out in the field, especially for the oatmeal and the oyster stouts. But we're going to start with a little bit of an overview of the genre, if you will. These would largely be classified in a competition as a sweet stout. Isn't that correct? Uh, Yeah, sweet stout, milk stout, maid stout. Nursing stout, invalid stout. A lot of things. So let's turn back the clock a little bit and try and think of how all these beers originated. You know, in the modern day and age, there's a lot of beers where the brewers put in ingredients or they design the whole recipe to taste like some kind of food item, like a dessert, for example. That's very popular these days, as we found out in last month's podcast. Absolutely. And it seems like that would be a totally modern thing. But what we're going to find out is that actually... That goes back more than a century when we talk about this style of beer. Okay, so when we're talking about milk stouts, Mackeson, that's pretty much the original milk stout. That's the origin story. That's right. But actually, the idea of what Mackeson was trying to achieve, I think, even goes back further. And so there was this idea that stouts were nourishing, they're healthy, they're wholesome, they're good for you. That's all true to this day. I mean, well, I agree with you completely. Although, unlike in the 19th century, I don't think my doctor has ever prescribed (laughs) that I drink stouts on a daily basis, even though I try and do that. So the question is, what is it about stouts that they thought was healthy? And what they thought was that it aids in digestion and it restores your appetite. From what I've read, it wasn't actually the brewers who were propagating this. This was actually coming from the medical community. Okay. With that notion in mind, brewers started to think that maybe they should put food into beer that was already healthy, and then you've got the stout, and there's like a double whammy health effect. So if stouts aren't healthy enough, how can we pack some more nourishment into this glass? Yeah. So here I'm going to go back to the historical literature a little bit and read a few things. First, I'm going to go back to 1888. And here I'm quoting from Jeff Allworth's The Beer Bible, Volume 2. And he's talking about a beer called Mercer's Meat Stout. Oh, boy. Here is what the advertisement says about this beer. Nourishing stout, brewed with the addition of specially prepared meat extract. Highly recommended for invalids, refreshing and invigorating. Okay, first of all, meat can mean a lot of things. (laughs) 
what kind of meat extract? I don't even know what that means. You know, I think it might be a mystery of time. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this was not plant-based protein. Okay, so um, they just throw all the meats in and extract something to put in your stout. Yeah. I don't think I'm behind this. And to be fair, that style died out with Queen Victoria or something like that. Okay, fast forward a little bit, and we're going to go to the year 1909. And that was when this beer, Mackeson's Milk Stout, debuted. Now, I've got to say, this ad took me aback, and I'm really looking forward to you reading this ad. Okay, so there are some beer styles where you can trace back that style to one single beer. So we, we've talked about Pilsner or Kell being the original Pilsner. That's right. You, you could talk about Hetty Topper being the original Hazy IPA. Amen. But I didn't know until we got researching this episode that actually Milk Stout also goes back to one single beer, and that was Mackeson's Milk Stout, released in 1909. It was brewed by a brewery in Kent in the southeast of England, and they patented it. So that means everybody else who brewed a Milk Stout had to pay a little bit of a fee to Mackeson's in order to brew that Milk Stout. Oh, really? So that's kind of interesting, and that's how we know the origin of the beer. Man, if they had the same thing for hazy IPAs today for Hetty <laughs> oh, Topper. Oh, man. They'd be, you know, off the charts rich, wouldn't they? Yeah. This is from the website Shut Up About Barkley Perkins, which we talked about last time. This is Ron Pattinson, who's a beer historian in the UK. And he found this newspaper article printed when the beer came out where they interviewed the people at Mackeson's. Okay, and this is in the year what? 1909. Wow. So this is a thought process in 1909 addressing a milk stout. Yes. So in the article, they're talking about how they knew that, you know, stouts were healthy and they wanted to make them even more healthy. And so they found a guy who was a food chemist and they brought him in to help them. And so here's where the story picks up. This gentleman was introduced to us by a very large firm of milk food manufacturers and very heartily he entered into our ideas. We explained what he wanted, and in double-quick time, he showed us that many fond notions were impossible. Meat? That cannot be added to malt liquors because of the danger of poisoning. And if we confine ourselves to extracts, like Mercer's did, we only get the flavor and no healthy goodness. Eggs? Impossible again, for many reasons. Milk? Well, milk is a food of foods. Five complete foods in one. And our friend thought that there was hope here. So anyway, they go on a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they're like, well, you know, we can't be adding the cream in because that would just make it fattening. And, you know, stout is supposed to invigorate your appetite, but not make you grow flesh. I've noticed that it's not fattening at all to drink a lot of beer. (laughs) And then they talk, well, what else is in milk? Well, most of milk is actually water. Wouldn't make sense to put water, because there's already water in beer. Yeah, yeah. And after this whole process of elimination, they come down to the idea that, well, the only thing left is the lactose, like the milk sugar. And voila, there you have the idea of a milk stout. And you know what? It was wildly popular. And we're all the more healthier for it. I mean, at least our ancestors were. I mean, milk is the food of foods, right? 
That's what they say. Five complete foods in once. That might have been the view in uh, 1909. I feel like people don't still think that milk is quite the health food they did then. But I would agree. We've been talking for a while. We should drink a beer. You're already uh, into your beer, but I'm going to crack open an Ohio milk stout. And in fact, a, a highly regarded one, right? Gold medal, GABF, what, 2018, 19, and 2020. Yeah, I mean, come on. How many beers win a gold medal at the GABF three times in a row? That's impressive. So this beer is from Brink Brewing down in Cincinnati. It's a milk stout. It's called Moozy. I have been wanting to try this beer for a while just because of the accolades that it has. Yeah, and in all honesty, I've never had it before. So how would you describe the flavor of a milk stout then? How is it different from a stock standard stout? It still has some of those more burnt characters. I mean, the roastiness, the roast barley. It is smoothed out a bit. And there is a sense of sweetness in that milk sugar that the yeast that's used in English brewing cannot ferment. We have talked in past podcasts about the idea that adding sugar to a beer leans it out. Normally that's true, but when we add sugar that we're adding from table sugar, that is going to be sucrose. When you talk about sugars, you can talk about monosaccharides, and the monosaccharides have six carbon atoms, and then they have six oxygens, 12 hydrogens. So there are three common monosaccharides in our diet, glucose, fructose, and galactose. Just think of those as six carbon molecules. All of those are totally fermentable by yeast, and all of those taste very sweet to us. But then you can put two of those together, two monosaccharides, and you get a disaccharide. And so some of the more common disaccharides would be sucrose, and sucrose is a combination of glucose and fructose. And then you have maltose. That's the kind of sugar that comes about when you're doing your mash, when you're making beer. So the alpha amylase is chopping up the starch and making maltose. And that's glucose and glucose. It's like two glucose put together. So those are both disaccharides. Yeast can eat those. You put those in there, the yeast consumes it, you get CO2, you get ethanol, and it dries out the beer. But lactose, so-called milk sugar, that's a glucose and a galactose, that one the yeast can't eat. When you put that into your brew kettle, it ends up still retaining the sweetness and not becoming fermented by the yeast. Now, it's important to note that the sweetness of a lactose molecule is only about 30% the sweetness of a sucrose molecule. So it's sweet, but not as sweet as like just if I were to take this beer right now and put a teaspoon of sugar in it, it wouldn't be the same. I could see that this beer is still decidedly sweet, but it's because we don't normally drink a lot of sweet beers. That's Most of those sugars are normally fermented out. Mm -hmm. So I would have to say 100 years ago, I guess lactose would be a healthy thing to have <laughs> in your beer. Well, I mean, if you're an invalid, if you're convalescing, if you <laughs> are trying to gain weight, this is what you would be looking for. Enough about the milk stout. I think it's time to go on a field trip and drive up to Bell Fountain. And we're going to pay a visit to Roundhouse Depot. That's right. We're going to go up there and talk to Ron Troyer and also Kathy Troyer. It's a true mom and pops. I'm looking forward to it. I love a good mom and pop.
Awesome. Well, everyone, welcome to Bell Fountain. We're here with Ron at the Roundhouse Depot. Getting ready to have an oatmeal stout. How's it going, Ron? Hey, going good. Thank you guys for coming down to Bell Fountain, seeing us here. This should be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for having us. You're welcome. So I think to start out, I mean, obviously, we're going to get a taste of your delicious oatmeal stout that I've been having a bit of lately, the Smoke Stack Oatmeal Stout. For a lot of our listeners that have not been to Bell Fountain, start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the brewery, why you started it. I mean, you got a pretty good tap list, always. Yeah, we do. We try to have, I think we got 15 on tap right now, two of those being ciders, and then we do our own wine as well. So we've got four to six bottles of wine. We'll be here three and a half years now. It'll be four years in July. I was actually a home brewer for 11 years. One of those things I've always wanted to do. Every home brewer wants to open a bar. Um, I learned to home brew when I was down in Virginia. My ex-brother-in-law taught me how to home brew, bought me a home brew kit, and went to home brew competitions with him. And was a lot of fun. Then I actually got to help open a brewery in 2014, right before I moved back home here to Ohio. Backroom Brewery in Middletown, Virginia. Okay. It's uh, just south of Winchester, which is in the northwest corner of Virginia. One of my first favorite stouts was the oatmeal stout that they had. A lot like what we've got here, very thick and rich and chocolatey. I like to call it a, a meal in a glass. You know? Oh, yeah. As we're sipping it now, it's really full-bodied. Yes, and yes. Very definitely nice. very full-bodied. So then in late 14, then I moved back home here to Ohio, got back into home brewing a little bit more. I learned a lot about my brewing when I was at Backroom Brewery because before they got their system, they're just using a five-gallon homebrew system. So when I moved back here to Ohio, I started messing around with it. And then when me and Kathy got together, she always said, you know, maybe I'll go out and help you brew today. And I'd be out brewing in the garage. She'd come out, be kind of messing around. She'd say, oh, I got something else to do. In the house she went. She was gone. She didn't really get into it that much. Um, she but, didn't stick around to clean up, for example? No, I couldn't get I still can't get her to clean up. And she'll probably be back here later on. So we, we might mention that because I still can't get her to clean up. She brews on Wednesdays on our test batch system. And, and then I clean <laughs> the next day so we were just talking one day i was online actually looking at systems and everything and there was a one barrel system like that'd be cool to have in the garage just kind of step up my game get a bigger system and we're on the back porch and just out of nowhere she's like Could we open a brewery with that and i was just like floored i'm like what <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to say i mean we joked about it and everything like all home brewers do and it kind of went from there. That day, we started looking at commercial property in, in Bell Fountain. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, you know, I think Dogfish had started on a half-barrel system. So, yeah, there's a lot of precedent for that. Yeah, and I did not end up getting that system. I did end up buying a 10-gallon system. And the 10-gallon system was our test batch system for probably the first year, year and a half before we stepped up to the one-barrel Ruby Street system, which is what Kathy brews on now. Okay. So it, we started looking for commercial property. We found the location where we are at now. Was lucky enough to be able to buy it outright. We started with a three and a half barrel system, um, which is what I'm still brewing on now. Three seven barrel fermenters, and I just got a seven barrel bright tank, along with the three three and a half barrel fermenters and the three and a half barrel bright. So definitely making a lot more beer. Business just continues to get better and better. Yeah, it seems like there's always a lot of people here in the tap room. Ron and Kathy are open Thursday through Sunday. So I come up here to the lake area, and by Thursday, I'm chomping at the bit. So as we record on a Wednesday, this is kind of a treat for me. Yeah, an extra day at the brewery. Nobody <laughs> minds that. Yeah, hell yeah. So 
your name is like an homage to the train station, right? Yeah. The railroad is basically what built Bell Fountain back in the late 1800s. This was the main hub for the big four railroads at that time. Cincinnati, Chicago, Cleveland. Springfield. Um, St. Louis. There it is. Those were the big four railroads in this area at that time, and this was a hub for them, so they all came through here. Everybody worked on the railroad that was around here. Um, it brought people to here. They settled here. So it's basically what grew the town of Bell Fountain. At that time, the original roundhouse and the original depot sat on this property directly behind us. Okay. Now, for people who aren't familiar with the roundhouse, it was a giant round building where they would take the engines in, work on them, spin them around, and then send them back out on another track. Then there was also the depot, which I equate to today's airport. I mean, that's where people got on and off of the train. There was restaurants and bars and things like that in the depot. So both of those structures were on this property directly behind us. Both of them burnt down at different times and then removed. But the track that's less than 100 yards out our door here is still active. Trains come by all the time. In the almost four years we've been here, I have not figured out a schedule or anything. It's just kind of whenever they decide to come by. Sundays <laughs> seem to be a big day for them. Um, okay. Sunday afternoons, we'll get a ton of trains coming by here. In the summertime, when we've got the garage door open, we've got patio seating on all sides, um, it gets pretty loud in here when the train goes rumbling by. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've known that trains are coming by, and a lot of times I don't hear the rumble yet, but you guys have a really cool kitschy thing here that you do every time a train rolls through which i think is awesome yeah so we've got the steam-powered whistle that we blow every time the train comes by so what we, we do kathy will hear the train coming like in west liberty like i don't know where she hears these she's a mother so she hears yeah. everything but it's supposed to blow its horn at every intersection to warn the traffic so as we hear it getting closer we try to time as soon as it blows its horn at our intersection, we blow our steam whistle in here. Uh, people love it. It's, it's oh, so, I love it. I think it's great. It's so amazing. And, and everybody that's regulars here, you know, they all, they're ready for it and everything. Anytime we got a group of people in here and they see me go up there, the regulars are, uh-oh, get ready. You're going to scare the new people over there. And I'll blow, and everybody starts looking around going, what was it, free drinks? We get free drinks yeah. with this? I'm like, no, you don't get free drinks. The train just went by, so we had to blow our horn. So it's been our thing that we've done since, since day one. Um, and it's, for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the time is the only time we blow the whistle. Um, it's a, it is probably the only time I ever blow the whistle. Kathy has been known to blow the whistle for little kids occasionally, and then she oh, okay. gets in trouble by me. All right. so. I don't know about that. I'd say you just got to wait. If no train comes in, you just have to come by again. I mean, there's a certain point where it becomes not special if you don't respect uh, the rules of I what agree. it comes from, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The chime only goes off on the hour. That, yep. I mean, yeah, if no train, the kids have to wait. So on a Sunday, how many times would the train go by in a given shift? I mean, it could be 10, 12, oh, okay. I mean, sometimes less, but I mean, it's very frequent on Sundays, and it's a double track, so a lot of times you'll hear one go by, and then you'll start hearing the horn. There's another one coming the next way, so you'll have a train going north and south out there at the same time. I love it. Now, this is powered by CO2, not steam. Is that right? Correct. It is CO2. Um, it's on a separate regulator, separate from my beer taps, because it runs off of 30 PSI. Okay. So it, it uses quite a bit of CO2. It's actually been a lifesaver a couple of times for us. When I've had some issues with my CO2, I go to pull that, and it just doesn't sound right, or it's a little weak. I'm going, 
uh oh, I got God. problems. Beer's about to go okay. flat, right? So and then I'm and then it, it it alerts me really, and I'm like, okay, I got to go check this, and I've had it run low okay. a few times, and luckily because of that, um, been able to avert some issues that could have happened. The canary in the coal mine, kind of. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So just before we came on air here, we just started to chat a little bit about Bell Fountain, and you were saying that there's been kind of a revival of the downtown area here. Yeah, the the downtown Bell Fountain right now is amazing place to go. Um, we're actually becoming a destination for people from Dayton, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. Our early Saturday and Sunday traffic from 12 to 4 is a lot of people from out of town coming in just to see the brewery and to see what the downtown has to offer. I'm originally from here. I grew up here, went to high school here. I moved away right at college and was gone for 25 years. When I moved back in 2014, the downtown was basically vacant. It had been that way for years. There were open storefronts everywhere. Brew Fountain, which is an anchor of our downtown now, was not there yet. 600 Pizza was. A lot of vacant storefronts. An investor, entrepreneur from our local area started buying up the properties downtown, renovating them, seeking out clients to put in them. And now there is almost no vacant storefronts downtown. Ah, that's great. I mean, that's a really inspiring story. It for- is. I mean, it's been nice that we were able to be here and be a part of that. I think we bring a lot to the game. It just continues to grow and get better and better all the time. Uh, we do events the first Friday of every month. There's some type of event downtown that draws hundreds and hundreds of people to the downtown area, to all the businesses. Um, we all kind of work together and make those things happen. It's a place to go now. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I'm kind of new to the area, as you know, and I have also noticed some pretty decent bands coming in over at this Holland Theater, and the theater itself looks pretty cool. Aren't you guys a sponsor over there? Yep, we are. We're one of the main sponsors over the Holland. Right before COVID, they went through a big renovation. It really looks nice in there. And yeah, they're bringing some big name bands and shows in through there. A lot of times people will come down here and hang out with us, then go out to the show. They have two of our beers on tap all the time. Um, So we do work uh, very closely with them. And just another thing that brings people to downtown Bell Fountain. Hell yeah. We should probably talk about this beer before Mark and I <laughs> finish our glasses. A hey, I, yeah, yeah, I got more of it. <laughs> <laughs> we might take you up on that. So this was a bronze medal winner at the 2020 Ohio Brewers Cup, right? Yes. And you also got a silver on your Hefeweizen, which we did. I also like your Hefeweizen a lot. My wife always gets it. And as you know, she's not a fast drinker. So I right. <laughs> always get a half a Hefeweizen with every beer I get. So I haven't technically ordered it yet but yeah tell us a little bit about what goes in and what your approach is on brewing your oatmeal stout the oatmeal stout is one of my favorite beers to brew i've always liked the dark beers um and i mentioned earlier about the oatmeal stout that they had at backroom brewery where i started at and my goal was to try to get it to be as thick and as rich as i can get it i said a meal in a glass I, i want you to feel this i want you to know that you're drinking this try to get a good golden head on it and the biggest thing is a lot of oats Okay, what percentage of your grain bill would that be? 16% of it is oats. Okay. Which to me seems like a pretty high amount. Yeah. It's a tough beer to make when you're mashing it in with all those oats because it ends up being a very thick mash. Um, But the oats, I think, are what makes the difference. And I have adjusted um, how many oats I put in it over time to try to get it. You know, when I was first making, I'm like, it's just not heavy enough. I want it to be thick. So just continually putting more and more oats in it. Maybe I've come up with the right recipe. Um, We did get that bronze medal two years ago. 
the way the competition fell that time because of COVID is why I was able to put this in. Last year, it was in October, I think, or mm-hmm. something maybe. So I didn't have it made yet. We're so happy with this one this year, I'm going to save a keg back um, so that I can get it into the Howcraft Beers Cup again. Oh, that's cool. We did win two medals last year as well, so we've got four total medals. That Hefeweizen has won two years in a row for us, uh, the silver two years ago and the bronze last year. Okay, well, your grist really shows on this. It's got a really full body. It's got a really nice, silky, smooth mouthfeel, too. I mean, that chocolate just rolls over the tongue in such a smooth way. It's wonderful. Decadent, really. I mean, yeah. it is kind of like a meal in a glass. I'm looking up at the board, and I see, though, it's only clocking in at 5.9%. Sometimes when you get that kind of velvety mouthfeel, you're thinking about a much stronger beer. So it's great to get that kind of combination. Yeah, I like it being a little bit lower. It's more drinkable at 5.9. I have done it on nitro in the past. Oh, I bet that's... Um, uh, I personally loved it on nitro. I bet it'd be great. I love it. I love what nitro does to a stout. Yeah. The majority of the people that I found out didn't. Everybody said, your beer's flat. Well, it's not flat. That's what it's supposed to be. Right. Uh, But people don't understand it. And nitro was very hard for me to work with here to get it and sure. do one tap of nitro. So we went through a whole batch of it doing it on nitro. And then I unhooked everything, sent my nitro tanks back, and I'll never do nitro again. Oh, man. I, I mean, mean, Pat and I are well, both we here would, to vote yeah. now. I well, mean, come on. We got a quorum of three. I hey, think I'm, we can get it back. I'm with you. I loved it. I, I <laughs> love sure. a stout on nitro, but it just wasn't as popular as what I thought it was going to be. You know, people love this beer. They wait for this beer every year when it comes out. I make one batch of it every year. When it's gone, it's gone, and it comes out again next year. So oh, that's good. It makes it special. It does. For those who are marking the calendar, what time of year does it normally appear? Usually right around the first of the year. Um, I'm well over halfway through it. It'll probably be gone before April, which is good for me. I want it on the winter months, so yep. January through March is good for me, and, and then it's gone, and it'll be back next year. Yeah, right on. Now, you also have another oatmeal stout on, which is a Mexican hot chocolate stout, which, Pat, I've been bragging about this a little bit. I brought one home to Columbus, but I got a little selfish one <laughs> night. And I do have one in the fridge here, but I mean, now that we're at the source, we might as well try one. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of chili peppers, and I think in the right you know, ratio, they just go wonderfully in a stout. You know? I like using peppers in beers all the time. Um, we've got an IPA on that's made with mangoes and habaneros. It's our flagship beer. We do a key lime habanero beer in the summertime. Oh, and wow. We really jack the heat up on it, and it is warm. The mango habanero one is just a little bit of a tangle. We actually put habaneros in ciders. So I like to use peppers in a lot of things. The Mexican hot chocolate, I really jack up what I do with that. Okay. Um, So this one has cinnamon and chocolate, like a hot chocolate, nice and smooth. Like, man, this is really good. But then I've got ghost peppers, Carolina reapers, scorpions, and habaneros in it. Wow. Okay. Don't be scared. It's it's it's, it's not that bad. Okay. Pat's a known pepper grower himself. But I don't okay. think I've ever had a beer that had that combination of peppers. Yep. Yeah. Just try to get a lot of them in there. And I like the way habaneros work for the most part because I don't taste habaneros in any beer that I make. I feel the heat on the back of my throat. Um, a lot of jalapeno beers I've had, the first thing I taste is the greenness of the jalapeno yep. right on my lips. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I want to taste the beer. So I started using habaneros, and I don't know whether it's the makeup of the pepper, the way I do it, or what it is, but I never taste the actual pepper. You taste whatever the other fragrance is in there, and then on the back of your throat, you go, oh, there it is. Everybody's there like, oh, are, man, that's huh? pretty good. That lime in there? And then they're like, oh, 
there it is. Oh, and that's that's the way this yeah. is. You'll get the sweetness up front, and then the the heat will hit you in the back of the throat. It's good for sure. Now, at what point in time during the brew process are you adding these? Is this like a dry peppering? Is this added at the end of the boil? When do you put these in? Um, I use all fresh peppers, so I cut them up and de-vein and de-seed them for the most part. Some I will leave the seeds and veins in because that's where the heat's at. So the first addition is at the very end of the boil. I'll put about half of the amount of peppers I plan to use in the entire batch in about the last five minutes of the batch. And then all the rest of them will go in in the dry hopping. And sometimes I'll do it three or four different times to get the heat where I want it. You know, I'll put maybe another quarter in after fermentation's done, give it a few days, taste it, see if I've got the heat level where I want. If not, then I'll do more. And I've done it two or three different times to get the heat level where I want it. Okay, that's cool. I mean, once they're in there, you can't take them out. So yeah, that's right. you know, I don't want to go too hot, but I know what I'm looking for. It's not going to burn you up, but I think the peppers add a lot to this on the back end. This beer might have fit better on last month's podcast, <laughs> but it is an oatmeal stout. Yeah, I like it a lot. The heat is just about right for me. Oh, it's great. And all the ingredients just work. I mean, it, it's got so much character up front with the chocolate and the cinnamon at the tip of your tongue. You think it's going to be sweet? It's not as sweet and heavy as you might think albeit a little bit bigger, of course, than the oatmeal stout itself. But then, man, when that heat comes in, it just really engages the senses. It's not too much, but it's very embracing. I love it. Well, there's also kind of a fruitiness that comes from the peppers. I mean, uh, habaneros have a kind of fruitiness, and that's yep. maybe why they pair so well with things like mangoes. Yeah. And that comes through in this. It does. And, and this is at 8.7% too. So this is you know quite a bit higher than what the oatmeal stout is. Um, you know, I, I jacked that one up specifically because I want this to be a higher alcohol beer. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Kathy, who's also a partner in this brewery, thank you so much for bringing the beers over. Good to see you. The thank you. mom part of the mom and pops here in Bell Fountain, which I love a mom and pops business of any type. <laughs> I like it. It's just funny because you wouldn't think a woman would be dying for the Mexican hot chocolate, but they flock in here and that's their favorite and they cry when it's done because they know it's getting close. So they always ask, <laughs> how much longer? How much longer? Well, it's good not to stereotype people by their drinking right. preferences, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's amazing how many women drink darker beers. I mean, it's not my preference, but a lot of women actually really like stouts. Well, so. as we say, life's short. You got to drink yeah. what you like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, so good to come in and see you guys. Really appreciate you talking to us about the oatmeal stout today and also sharing a little bit about the brewery because I found this to be a great place to go. Yes, it's my favorite place. (laughs) (laughs) I have a full-time job, so when I come, this is my relaxation and my decompression, and I enjoy coming here and visiting everybody, and it's fun. Right on. And anytime you come out, you've got Ron and Kathy as bartender, so... Not bad. Love it. Well, cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 <laughs> All right, Pat, we got to get back to Columbus. I mean, it's been a wonderful stay out here in the country, but, you know, we're city boys. We're city boys. Back to Columbus where we're going to go try one of the other O's of Moo, an oyster stout. Hard to find an oyster stout anywhere in Ohio, and we're going to find actually one that is sold very exclusively. This one's at a local restaurateur, Cameron Mitchell's The Pearl Restaurant, which started in the short north, and North High makes their oyster stout and has for the last nine years. 
I'm excited to try this beer. I mean, I've had it once or twice when I visited there, but it's not a beer you can get at the North High Tap Room, for example. And so you've got to go to the Pearl. You've got to go to the Pearl. There's only two places in the world where you can get this beer. Down by the sea lived a lonesome oyster Every day getting sadder and moister He found his home life awfully wet And longed to travel with the upper set Poor little oyster All right, so here we are at the short north location of the Pearl talking to Gavin Myers from North High Brewing Company. What's up? The North High Brewing Company in Columbus, Ohio. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Fantastic. Good. Glad to be here. Right. We're happy to be here, too. Uh, Just a little jaunt down High Street, isn't it, from the original North High location? A familiar jaunt. So we are down here to talk about North High's Oyster Stout, which is not an easy style to track down if you're just perusing the grocery shelves, I should say. Right. Gavin, you want to tell us like the origin story of this beer? Absolutely. This is one of my favorite stories of all of North High Brewing's history from when my partner Tim and I started the company 11 and a half years ago to opening a little over 10 years ago here in the short north. The reason that your folks won't be able to find this in the stores is it is an exclusive that we only make for Cameron Mitchell restaurants, and it's only available here at the Pearl in the Short North and also their Pearl up in Bridge Park in Dublin, which we're also neighbors up there now. Pretty excited about that. But the origin story is, you know, we opened our original tap room in December of 2012. And just in context, we were the seventh brewery to open in central Ohio. Today, there's somewhere over 70, I believe. That's the kind of activity that's happened over the last 10 years. I guess we made it seem like a good idea. A couple months later, in February of 2013, the Pearl opened. And a good friend of mine, Sonny Pesci, shout out to Sonny. He's the executive chef at Del Mar now. At the time, was an executive chef for a Cameron Mitchell restaurant in Dallas, Texas. And I reached out to him and I said, who would we talk to if we ever wanted to get our beer into a Cameron Mitchell restaurant? Sonny said, you'll want to ask for Ryan Valentine, who at the time was the director of beverage for Cameron Mitchell. And Tim and I had walked down here for their opening just to kind of check the place out. This was before Cameron Mitchell had a ton of concepts here in the short north. All they really had at the time was martinis and marcellas. So we walked down the street, came in here right at opening. It was right around Valentine's Day. So really about nine years ago this week, I walked in, grabbed a beer at the bar, asked the bartenders, you know, does Ryan Valentine happen to be here? They pointed to Ryan. We went over and uh, chatted with him and I'm looking at the beer menu and I said, why don't you guys have an oyster stout? You're a raw bar. And he kind of gave me a look and he's like, that's a great question, you know? And, and I said, how about we make one for you? And at the time we had never wholesaled a beer yet. We were brewing two barrels of beer at a time. So just really small batches. We were the second smallest of the seven breweries in central Ohio. And that kind of started the conversation. And Ryan's one of the guys who sort of early on grasped for kind of the fancier restaurants, he grasped that coming trend of good quality craft beer paired with high-end food. In fact, this was the first restaurant that I had heard of that one of the requirements of their training staff from bartenders to servers was to get their level one Cicerone certification. Um, We actually, it took about two to three iterations of the Oyster Stout before we got the one that everybody agreed was the one. And our original brewmaster, Charlie Davis, back in the day, um, he, he, on, on one end of the spectrum, it's what's a good beer that pairs with oysters. And then on the other end, what's a good beer that pairs with oysters. It's also made from the ingredients of oysters. So we got a hold of several dozen pounds of Chesapeake oysters, the same ones that they serve here at the Raw Bar. The winning batch that we made, we actually added the oysters in during the boil. 
which adds just a nice kind of brininess and a little bit of more substance to the brew. And we've been on tap here ever since. Okay. That's awesome. Now, you said you had a couple test batches. What were some of the criteria on the flavor profile that you were going for that ended up with this beer? Great question. So as we were tasting, you know, we kind of taste tested just to see what was uh, available out there. And there's not a lot of oyster stouts available in the market. There's fewer today than there were before because there's almost been more of a hyper-localized distribution of beers. If you go into your local beer store, there's going to be a lot more local and regional beers, whereas back in the day there were a lot more kind of imports. So it was easier to find more oyster stouts. So we lined up about six or seven of them that we could find. The first one that we hit on, I'd say the problem with it was it was too thin. It it almost looked like a a little bit more like a watered-down Diet Coke, Uh, whereas as you can see, this beautiful beer looks like black coffee with a nice roasty tan head on it. Mm-hmm. The second one was about halfway in between what we believed was a little bit too thin and not enough of that roast that we wanted. Interestingly, none of the fishiness of the oyster has ever come through in any of the beers. So that kind of gets cooked out. One of the benefits of Oyster Stout Brewing Day is that the oysters are fully cooked at the end and you can just scoop them out and eat them. Oh, that's okay. not bad. And they okay. taste delicious. And because <laughs> it's pre-ferment, that oyster meat still has a little bit of the sugary sweetness of the wort in it. So oh, that's, that's, that's always cool. a fun day. I bet that's a delicacy, right? It's a great delicacy. Yeah. Yep. What is the amount of oysters you use per batch size of the beer? Great question for Jason. I mean, back in the day, we were making two barrel batches, and I remember getting 20 to 25 pounds of oysters. Today, we're making 40 barrel batches when we make this beer, so I would assume, you know, probably multiply that times 20. We're probably chucking a few hundred pounds of oysters into there and cooking them up and dining on them. Wow. So Jason's got a hell of a lunch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We are well fed. Well, maybe we should tell all the people out there in podcast land what this beer tastes like. You already covered the appearance of it. Mm-hmm. Mark, how would you say this tastes? You know, it does have a little brininess. I like that it finishes a little on the sweet side. It's far from heavy. I think salt a lot of time accentuates things as well, which sure. I think it does in this beer. Kind of brings the chocolate a little forward. Also the roast. Yeah. Very roasty. It coats the tongue without being too heavy. Yeah. It has a roasty, almost dark chocolate. After mm-hmm. note, yep. sure uh, does. I don't get too much coffee in this, but definitely some good, uh, almost some toasted almond that carries through on the finish. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. And it yeah. doesn't finish sweet. It has a really nice mouthfeel for a beer of this weight. I don't know, what's the ABV on this? ABV is right around 6%. That would have been, yeah, my guess. Okay. You know, when a stout gets too thin, like you mentioned, it sort of doesn't seem like a stout right. in some ways, yeah. But this one has a nice mouthfeel, but... Really finishes pretty clean and dry. Not a lot of residual sweetness, I would say. Yeah. I mean, there's some sweetness in the taste, but there's not a lot of lingering sweetness. You know, in the pantheon of sweets where everybody wants to make it salty too, like Jenny's salted caramel. You know, this has a little bit of both Mm -hmm. and I think makes for a nice, well-balanced beer that complements your fishy oysters. (laughs) Do you have any recommended oysters? You've probably been down here many times when you've had this beer with different oysters. Uh, Many times. uh, Just for nostalgia's sake, go with the Chesapeake if you want to kind of get the before and after. I'm not exactly an oyster connoisseur. (laughs) That's that's fair. I don't don't think any of us are. Now, we're coming off Valentine's Day, and there are some purported properties of oysters that might come in handy around this time of year. Do you think you would get those? So said. And also, will those... Does the fermentation knock out that aphrodisiac quality, or do you think, think it's still that, retained? I uh, think that for a guy like me, I think that the more uh, my date would have to drink the <laughs> oyster goggles. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there could be side effects of this beer. Could be some side effects. Just enjoyment of the flavors. <laughs> That's for what sure. we're hoping, anyway. <laughs> 
is the base beer here, Sands Oyster, it, would that be a recognizable beer that I've ever had at North High, or is the recipe here specifically for this beer? This is specific to this beer. Okay. It's definitely a little bit more roasty. So if you have our American Stout, which we have on tap at our Dublin store right now, it's going to be a little bit less on the roasty side. Certainly, you're not going to have the brininess of the oysters as well. The Milk Stout is going to be even just a little bit lighter yet, because then we're obviously back-sweetening that with the unfermentable lactose. Like, exciting side note, we should be spooling up our Milk Stout again again here in the next couple months once we fire up our pilot brewery system up in Marion. Oh, that's cool because it kind of had been a while. I know early on when I first saw your beers on the shelves in cans, that was one of the mainstays. It was one of the cores. And and it's a good one. Yeah. It is very good. So bringing that back, that's good information. What we found was having that as a core beer and getting it into, you know, a lot of grocery and big retail it's a beer that requires a little bit of an education. When people see milk stout, they don't know what that means. And then some people are just turned off by any of those things if they see those and, and read yeah, it. Yeah. So we figured that that was a shelf space that could be better dedicated to a more recognizable kind of higher pull-through style. That's probably been about four or five years since we had that on the shelves. Okay, yeah. But replaced it with a seasonal that's the Filthy McNasty Russian Imperial Stout. Great beer. Uh, I hope that Jason told you that story. Uh, the the reason for the name Filthy McNasty. We, we, we kind of tangentially <laughs> touched on it. Yeah, but, 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 we no, could, but uh, yeah, go. Okay, so it's a great beer that's surprisingly easy and smooth drinking. And, and I mean, you would expect it being 9% and looking like crude oil, that it would drink like a milkshake. But it's a uh-huh. really smooth, crushable 9% imperial style. This goes back to the days when Tim and I first started the brewery and Jason, as a gift, as he was going off to work in San Francisco, he gave us his Russian Imperial Stout recipe. And I said, could we call this McKibben's Russian Imperial Stout? And he's like, no, 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 no. I said, well, what, what can we call it? And he said, Filthy McNasty. And I nice. said, okay, where, where does the name come from? So he tells this story about when he was working for Anheuser-Busch out in out Los Angeles. In, yeah, when he was at the Van Nuys yeah, uh, Anheuser-Busch okay. location, and he was living in Santa Monica, and he had hopped into a cab to meet some friends at the Viper Room, you know, the infamous Viper Room, and he gets in this uh, cab with this crusty old guy, and he's like, tells him where he's going, and the guy's driving, and he's like, you know, back in the 70s, that place was called Filthy McNasty's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Jason's like, file that away. That was probably back in 2000. That was his first assignment, wasn't it? He was in Fairfield first. Okay. Okay. And then they transferred him to Van Nuys, and then he was in St. Louis, and then Columbus. And that's uh, when when they moved him here. That's when he and I reconnected and became good friends. And then we were able to lure him back from San Francisco back in 2014. So May will be eight years since he moved back to Columbus and joined us as a partner. And he's been brewing some amazing beer ever since. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's uh, that's been a great move for everyone involved. Absolutely, great including for me the, for the state of Ohio. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pat always thinking of himself first, <laughs> including me. Hey, I always Drinking think of Pat beer first here. Anytime I drink a good beer, <laughs> I think that's the side effects of the oyster talking. It's an aphrodisiac. Because yeah. <laughs> we are talking about milk stouts on this episode. Do you want to say anything more about your milk stout when it's going to be? I would anticipate by probably this fall. We've got a few other things to take care of up in Marion before we actually fire up that brewery, but we've got a five-barrel brew house up there that's been sitting up there for a little while. And that's right. That's been in the works for a long we've time. We've had some logistical issues with that project since the first conversation in 2017. A longer gestation period than an elephant. Well, what we're doing right now is we're aging the tanks. Uh, we want to get them nice and 
nice and well aged. <laughs> I hear that's a, I hear that's an asset. Absolutely. Yeah. So all the beer that comes out of it will have a little bit more maturity to it. Uh, <laughs> but we think that we'll be firing that up by probably late summer. Okay. Some of the recipes that we're most excited about firing up again that we haven't been able to make forty or sixty or one hundred and twenty barrels of are um, the ESB, which has been okay. the, the London Gentleman, which is a, an old crowd favorite. The Milk Stout, and one that a few friends are very excited about. I'm talking to you, Ben Garbrek, as the uh, Wild Card, which oh, is, uh, I remember Wild remember Card. Wild Card? Yeah. That was like my favorite in the early days. A vanilla blonde nitro, just a really smooth, silky. You know, looked like a Boddington's. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah cool. But drank a little lighter and sweeter. And you know, the problem was not a lot of accounts have nitro <laughs> handles. Sure, uh, you don't really need to know what you're getting when you order something called Wild Card. That's where, <laughs> that's where the name came from. An homage to the It's Always Sunny gang. But that's one that I'm really excited okay. about bringing back as well. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were saying beers from the early days, and I was saying, oh, I remember Wild Card was yes. one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun one. It's, you know, when you're making two barrels of something and throwing them on nitro, a uh, little bit different than having 80 kegs of that sitting around that we then need to find homes for. <laughs> sure. So yeah. It'll be fun to dust off some of these old recipes and get them back out. To get the milk stout and these other beers we were talking about, will people have to go up to Marion or will they sometime, Will they appear at the other locations? Yeah, so this is one of the great things about the Marion pilot brewing system coming online when it is, is we're going to be able to uh, selectively get some of the products out to small accounts that want something that's really unique and one-off, which wholesale customers are always interested in, but also supporting the growth of our restaurant group, which is uh, kind of in full pedal to the metal mode right now. Okay. That's awesome. Now you've got some more breaking news. Am we right? some, this is some breaking, okay, breaking now this news. This is a lot lighter than stout. A lot lighter. <laughs> yeah. About as lighter as it gets. <laughs> so we're, uh, we've, we've made a couple test batches of seltzer over the past year in preparation for opening Ohio's first seltzer-specific brewery that's going to be opening in about a month up in Beechwood, Ohio. Okay. So this is in a really cool space that used to be a Maggiano's in the Beechwood Mall. And a very cool concept where we're going to have a menu that's very similar to our Dublin restaurant. The difference in the kitchen is our Dublin restaurant has a 300-square-foot kitchen. This place has a 4,500-square-foot kitchen. Oh, wow. So okay. in addition to our standard brew pub menu, we're also going to launch a ghost kitchen out of there. We're excited about that. Can't say the name of it yet, but we've uh, we've got the name and the logo ready to rock. It's going to be, uh, all I can say is it's going to be the best ghost kitchen on the planet. We're very wow. excited about That's that. That's cool. And then we've got uh, inside that space, we're doing a 10-barrel seltzer brewery. So it's just okay. uh, just four tanks. It's going to be a kettle. Um, the the bright and then two fermenters. So we've got a brewer that's going to be working for us up there, and uh, we'll probably get the supply chain issues have slowed down the delivery of the tanks mm. and the chiller, but we'll probably be ready to brew on it by early April. Okay. But we're going to be opening in Beechwood. Maybe we're hoping second or third week of March. Okay. In the beginning, that'll only be available at our restaurants. As we get production up and running and and figure out the logistics of it, we're going to expand that to a little bit more. Maybe some packaging here okay. and there. We've already tested out about 12 different flavors. Uh, we've done a cucumber seltzer. We've done a apple. We've done a pear. I want to do one with our pickle juice with, for our I, homemade pickle juice. I was, I was waiting about to for ask this. you. Yeah. I was going to say, come on, there's got to be a pickle Everything seltzer. Everything pickle is uh, right up my alley. So. <laughs> so we're very excited about that. So stay tuned. Okay. Well, fantastic. Thanks for the exclusive. You got uh, it. Yeah, yeah. You got it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, have a great afternoon, Gavin. And Thank thanks you. so much for coming on the show. Pat and Mark. 
Huge fan. Oh, appreciate it. Long time yeah. listener, first time caller. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on, and I do think we're going to have you back sometime in the future with an all pickle episode. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks right. a lot. Cheers. Thank you, guys. Well, Pat, we better get moving for now, but those were some great road trips. Coming up next month, we head to Dublin, Ireland to meet up with a friend, celebrate all things Ireland, and tour the Guinness Brewery. I love Ireland. I've been there. It's an amazing place. And Guinness is, hands down, one of the most important breweries in the history of mankind. Well, it couldn't be a more appropriate stop, considering St. Patrick's Day is coming soon. As a Patrick, I cannot agree anymore. So we'll see you all next month. As they would say in Ireland, uh, schlante. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening.